Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast, where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Find us 24-7 online. PathToZion.com is the house, if you will, of all of the audio episodes that we have for the last two plus years. You can find us there, and of course, all of these videos here in our video editions of the program. Now, we are on part three now of the series, One That Lied, One That Died, and the Prototype of the Apostate Church. And we are in 1 Kings chapter 12 and 13 for the most part. We're going to move around a little bit today. And this is the account of the man of God coming onto the scene to correct King Jeroboam and his idolatrous ways of setting up golden calves. And uh, he's corrupting the house of the Lord. He institutes his own will, his own ways, his own feast day. Huh. Sounds kind of like right now in the church age that's apostate that I live in. We say, we, we will take it from here. All that Yahweh Elohim and his people business. Eh. We got Jesus now, and we kind of just do things our own way. We're a people of grace, you know. <laughs> it's very dangerous, and uh, it sets all of us up to be very deceived, which is why we're talking about this stuff today. To make sure we're men of discernment, Really, if we can hit the pause and send you back, if you didn't watch the series talking about the assimilation of the church, spiritual osmosis, the assimilation of the church, what we talked about was about this in a different context, in a different way, to say a warning to the wide-way Christian New Testament church that, just to, I'll pose it as a question, what if Jesus, which was not the name of Yeshua Messiah, the Son of God, Emmanuel. That was not his name, Jesus. And people say that doesn't matter. I completely disagree. It's a deep topic, I understand. It's very offensive. And because it's very offensive, it continues to pique my interest as to why. His name was Yeshua. He was a Jewish man who kept feasts and Sabbath, who wore zitzit, who did the feast days. He went to Jerusalem he did all these things, and he said, guess what? I'm not here to abolish any of this stuff. And then he went about his life. <laughs> then he died on a cross, and he rose again, and he sent his Holy Spirit on a day called Pentecost that preceded his arrival, where people were already gathered to celebrate the Feast of the Lord. The Feast of the Lord... Not the Jewish feast now. I can't even go there. I can't. We have got to stay focused, people. I can't repeat that every, every single episode, even though it needs to be repeated because I see the delusion of the wide way Jesus being sucked into and what? Assimilated into a one-world religion and the church doesn't even know it. They don't even see it. But I already went over that, so go watch the series if that... If you think it's even possible, I'm not telling you it's possible. I'm telling you it's already very well ongoing. So let's talk about this. Before I get distracted, I'm trying to get more focused on my presentations of these series. One that lied, one that died, the prototype for the apostate church. We're back in 1 Kings chapter 13. We're going to talk about this prophet again. Um, and we're never told, again, we highlighted this a little bit already, but we're never told that this man is a true prophet. Like the scripture itself never identifies him as like, this is the prophet of the most high. 
Now, now 13 verse 21 does say he prophesies correctly. The word of the Lord came, as I already shared, I think, in part one. I don't know, that I was just like mystified by that. I can't believe that this lying, deceiving old prophet literally did accurately hear and speak the word of the Lord. Like that just threw me a major curveball. But what we are told in Scripture specifically that this old prophet man is a nave. Now, nave is just a very generic, if you will, term in Hebrew for a prophet. He, it's somewhat generic as being, it's not true or false. It doesn't mean nave is not a true prophet or a false prophet. It can just kind of mean both. Um, but his own self-appointed title means very little. As far as we know, the only, the only thing we're told about this old prophet is what we're told about the man of God. They're right here, and that's pretty much it, other than some references we're about to get to. But as far as we know, the only time that this man accurately delivered the word of the Lord may have, may have only been right there. That may have been the only time he prophesied correctly in his life. Who knows? Or, like we said earlier, maybe he used to be a true prophet of the Most High. And like like the rest of those in that area at the time, they went the way of Jeroboam's leading and became apostate. It's a very likely possibility as well. Okay, so 2 Kings chapter 23. Let's do that. Bear with me, please. 2 Kings chapter 23. We're going to see the man of God. We're going to see the man of God's prophecy fulfilled. Now, again, the best I could tell, and again, I'm no Bible scholar. I don't ever want anyone to think that I know much of anything. That's the, that's the incredibleness of this. This is our teacher. Holy Spirit teaches us in all things. This does something supernatural above our intellect or ability or, or what we've acquired in our life of who we've become. This does what it does. <laughs> And so, so let's just read this. Okay, so where am I? 23. The best I can tell, this is 340 years approximate later. 340 years from 1 Kings chapter 12, 13, where the man of God and the old prophet have this, this little crazy event with their two lives. 340 years later in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 14 is where we'll start. Now the prophesied... King Josiah, he's on the earth now, alive and well. I love the story of Josiah, man. I don't even get me started. When I read about Josiah, he's just waiting to get in there and undo all the things that were put in place before him. I love it, man. It's awesome. Verse 14, he, Josiah, broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the asherim, and he filled their places with human bones. Furthermore, the altar that was at Bethel... And the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin, had made, even that altar in the high place he broke down. He demolished its stones, ground them to dust, and burned the Asherah. Now when Josiah turned, he saw the graves that were there on the mountain. And he sent, and he took the bones from the graves, and he burned them on the altar and defiled it, according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed." who proclaimed these things. Now, verse 16 here of 2 Kings 23 is shooting us back to the account we've been looking at in 1 Kings chapter 12 and 13. So the man of God comes back 340 years later 
and the prophecy that he said was being fulfilled. It was not, it was not in vain now. <laughs> Verse 17, he, um, Josiah says, What is this monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, quote, This is the grave of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, Leave them alone. Let no one disturb his bones. So they left his bones undisturbed with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. We'll stop there. Okay, so again, fast forward 300 plus years, the prophecy of the man of God comes to pass. All of this stuff he was warning would happen there about the bones and the altar and the undoing and all those things. The, the King Josiah being put in place, those things were all, they, were, they had become fact at this point. And, and Josiah comes across this monument. He says, what's the deal with this? And they say, this is the man of God that prophesied all this stuff's grave. And beside him are the bones of the old prophet from Samaria. Now we're going to talk about that here in a minute, about Samaria. I thought the dude lived in Bethel. I'm confused. <laughs> This account, you better pay attention, man, or we're going to get lost in all these details. So let's just talk about that for a minute. Why did they call him the prophet from Samaria? That doesn't make sense. We already read 1 Kings 13, 11, which tells us that he was living in Bethel. I'm trying to figure out like all this text, like, ah, where do we go next? <sighs> all right, so let's, let's just do this. This is going to answer that question before we move on any further. As far as the false prophet pro proposal goes, let's look at some other texts, but keep right here on the edge of your, of your mind this that we just read, why they call him a prophet from Samaria if he lived in Bethel. We're going to answer that question in just a couple verses. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 first, however. But even if we, or for that matter, an angel from heaven, were to announce to you some so-called good news contrary to the good news we did announce to you, let him be under a curse forever. We said it before and we'll say it again. If anyone announces good news contrary to what you've received, let him be under a curse forever. He repeats it twice. Even if an angel from heaven tells you. So again, this is we're reiterating the same point to get it ingrained into our thinking, into our understanding about who we listen to and why. As we look at the historical text telling us what happened to this prophet and the man of God 300 years later as far as their bones, their burial. Okay, Samaria came later. Okay, like from what I can tell, there was no Samaria in 1 Kings chapter 12 and 13. So why in the world is he called this prophet from Samaria? Hosea chapter 8. Man, I don't even know if I marked that one. Hosea chapter 8. Oh, Lord, help me find Hosea without taking me two hours. Hosea chapter 8, verse 5. Okay, <laughs> let's just read it off the paper where I already had it. Oh, man, I found it. Did you see that, though? Look, I found it real fast. Are you impressed? Hosea chapter 8, verse 5. He has rejected your calf, Samaria. Okay, my wife read this, and she said, wait a minute. There's a calf in Samaria. <laughs> he has rejected your calf, Samaria. My wrath is kindled against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence in Israel? 
An artisan made it. It is no god at all. The calf of Samaria will be dashed to pieces. Okay, so golden calf, Samaria, the, the old, prophets from, old prophet from Samaria. And then Jeremiah 23, 13 says something very interesting. It says this, quote, Among Samaria's prophets, I saw something unseemly. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. And so what I'm saying is, and there's other texts we could jump around, but we're trying to be concise here. This old, pro- this old prophet is a complex individual. <laughs> and he was biblically connected in the prophesied reign of Josiah in 2 Kings to Samaria. I'm proposing that it's because the Scripture is trying to make it clear by association that he was a false prophet. That's kind of my submission as we try to identify these men's functions. Who were they? What's going on here? How do we arrive at an answer? I think, again, by association in in the latter verses that we just read in 2 Kings where he's called the prophet from Samaria. Why would they say that again when he lived in Bethel? I think by association they're making it clear that they knew Samaria's prophets prophesied by Baal. So again, I believe by association he was a false prophet already associated with the calf worship and that it's likely also um, also very likely that he prophesied by Baal himself. 1 Kings 13, 26, we see him somewhat arrogantly say that the man of God, in a sense, got what he deserved. Because if we look at that real quick, he's saying, we read this one earlier in, in measure. Well, the man of God disobeyed the word of God, so that's why he's dead. I think that he was a very arrogant man. But then we see this little, another little curveball here. That again, commentaries, I didn't agree with the commentaries. Doesn't make me better or smarter or even right, but I didn't agree with what I read. Because many people have written in these commentaries about this text that that he showed compassion. He had a moment of compassion. He had regret. He had all these things that we can read into that way. We can look at him that way. That's, That's easy to do. We could do that as well. One of the reasons is because we see he gives him his own grave. Let's let's read that too. Because we have not completed um, chapter 13 of 1 Kings yet. So he tells his sons, the, the old prophet tells his sons, saddle up my donkey, and they do. And he went and his, he found the body on the road. We talked about that in measure. The lion is standing beside the body. He hadn't eaten the body or torn the donkey, either one, which is just ridiculous. So the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back home. And he came to the city of the old prophet to mourn and to bury him. Now, we can't just read that and say, well, he mourned. It says he mourned. He's sad. He's full of regret. We have to be careful. What was he mourning? What what does the word mourn mean? We don't have time to get into all that today. We, We see mourning all throughout the scripture that sometimes was not a genuine, heartfelt, real, true mourning. We have to be careful. We can't just, it says he mourned, he was full of regret. Those do not have to be the same. They don't have to be connected. In verse 30, he laid his body in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother, 
Okay, so now again, this is just my thinking. This is just my opinion. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think he's continuing on in his ways. I think he's trying to prop himself up. Alas, my brother. This puts to me now. This points back to what he said to the man of God. says, brother, I'm just like you. I'm one of you. Look at me, man. We're the same. We're bros. Alas, I think even here as he's burying him. Alas, my brother. This man of God who spoke this harsh prophetic word to the king that maybe I wasn't willing to do is another thought. But I'm just like him and I'm burying him in my own grave. Let's mourn over this great sadness. Oh yeah, that by the way he did, that he caused, (laughs) at least by deception. Verse 31, and it came about after he had buried him that he spoke to his son saying this, Now, this is, again, a strange thing. When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. Took took me some time to dig out why that mattered. We'll get to that in a minute. For the thing shall surely come to pass which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria. Hmm. Verse 32 is very key to verse 31. So he says to his sons, bury me with this guy's bones. Throw me down in my own grave that I'm giving him in my benevolence. Why? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. This old prophet's not stupid now. He's deceptive, but he's not dumb. (laughs) I think he was somewhat delusional. He states yet again that he is somehow just like this man of God, which, of course, he's not. But I would even propose that his arrogance and delusion is related to his request to be buried right beside the man of God, by his bones. Why? Perhaps the false prophet knew that his bones, his bones now, his own... Okay, so let me make this clear. And why are we talking about this? Because it's the Word of God and I like it and it's awesome. It's awesome. I think in his cunning little ways, he knew because he told us here in 32, this thing shall surely come to pass. In other words, all these bones are going to be burned. They're going to be thrown on the altar and it's going to be consumed. and It's going to be crushed to powder. The man of God's prophecy is going to come true. And if I'm buried like everybody else away from him, That's going to be my future. Now, we don't have much understanding. We get thrown in the grave here now. Nah, whatever. You're in the cemetery down the road. No big deal. But man, back then, there was a different mindset. In in ancient cultures, there was just a different understanding of bones and bodies and, and consecration and holiness. And man, we don't have any of that anymore. But back then, they did. And I think he understood this. Perhaps... He knew that his bones would be spared burning, as was prophesied, if he was buried with the man of God. Because I believe he understood. I think he understood that Yahweh Elohim would do something to honor this man of God. As weird as that is for our thinking. Because we, well, Yahweh had him killed. Judgment. Yeah, but again, let's go back 
Let's go back to this uh, lion. He was not devoured. His body was not consumed. Why didn't the lion eat him? Why didn't he mar him beyond recognition? Why didn't the lion eat the donkey? Why is he sitting there in the middle of the street, apparently just casually hanging out by the body of the man of God? I, I, I wrote this down in some earlier notes. It seems that the lion itself performed its task to kill the man of God and do no more. It just did what it was ordained by the Father to do, and it sat down. Why? There is order to Yahweh's, even Yahweh's righteous judgment has order and boundaries and set parameters. It's interesting to me. I think, I don't, I don't think this stuff is just extracurricular nonsense. I think all of this stuff matters. So I think, again, even here at the end, when he's telling his sons, he's instructing his sons to bury him with the man of God's body, with his bones. He's thinking of himself. I'm going to be labeled with this guy. Again, to make a parallel, I think that's why he cried out, Alas, my brother, this man of God, this righteous man that spoke the oracles of Yahweh Elohim to the king, he's just like me, so much so, I think I deserve to even be buried on his bones so that I'll be preserved. Which, ironically enough, we see in the text we already read when Josiah comes on the scene, that's what happened. Josiah said, what? Leave him alone. <laughs> Leave him alone. It's crazy. It's very interesting to me. There's so many layers to these things. So what do we have here? Let's just bring this to a close. Trying to be brief now. How in the world do you do that? We'd spend five hours on the first five verses. So what do we have in this account? Primarily, again, 1 Kings 13 and 12, of course. We have an incredibly intriguing account stuck right in the beginning, right at the beginning now, of what becomes the ongoing saga of the unfaithful and rebellious kings of Israel. Oh, man. What a, what a, ugh. What a heritage. <laughs> Yahweh is patient. Jeroboam, the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel, the prototype for the apostate church. Okay? New feast day, new ways to worship, new priestly order, golden calves that he made sacrifices to, and he led all the people in to do the same thing. I would say just like modern-day New Testament Western white man Jesus religion. I'm trying to tie this into where we've been in the recent series. I'm, I know that's hard. If you're just, that might blindside you if you've not been watching our previous episodes. You might be like, what? Whoa, you're saying Jesus is part of the problem? I'm sorry. If he's divorced and different than the biblical Yeshua Messiah, Emmanuel, Son of God, absolutely yes. The church, in her apostate condition, has in her own way, become, it's, it's, she's become just like the church of King Jeroboam. When someone came in and said, you know what, we're not doing it the way it's been done before. 
We're not doing it that way anymore. We have a better way. And I believe just like then, Yahweh has sent, is sending, and has sent us via his word that has been preserved for us, sending the man of God, men of God, the real true prophets now, to confront this head on, the apostate church, and say, no more, judgment's coming. The altar is going to be broken. You have defiled the priesthood. You've defiled the holy place. Now we can metaphorically say, as the living temples, the literal dwelling and house of the spirit of the living God, we are now the temple holy place. We've become defiled. We don't keep the commands. Back where we started in Deuteronomy, man. If you keep the commands, this is for you. And then what we say, the 53 verses of curses for those who do not. We're void of that stuff now. We don't do it anymore, and we've replaced the house of Yahweh Elohim with our own ways, with our own versions of golden calves. The apostate church continues full speed ahead. The man of God, set, secure, immovable, unwavering against the obviously evil and idolatrous king Jeroboam that he prophesied against, yet deceived and lacking discernment in regards to an aged prophet that was presumably good. So we have the apostate church that Jeroboam instated, We have the one who died, the man of God, deceived. Easily turning away the word of the evil king because that was easy. That was easy to discern that he was evil and opposing Yahweh's commands. But then the old prophet comes on the scene, the one that lied. Presumably good. He heard from an angel. He's one of us, a wayward old man that was self-appointed, self-centered, and arrogant, in my opinion, to the end. So what can we learn from the one that lied, the one that died, and the prototype of the apostate church? That, friends, you better know who you're listening to. And you better know what's going on in the temple, in the house of the living God, because, friends, you're going to have to answer for that. We can see ourselves within all of these three individuals. Within this entire scenario, in this very mysterious chapter in 1 Kings 13, we see, if we have eyes to see, we'll see ourselves, and we'll see the condition of the church today. And something's got to change. And I'm not saying it's me because I'm not desiring an identifiable function where you see my name on a page as prophet, but I'm telling you, something's got to change. Something's got to change in the house of the Lord. So who will we be? Who will we follow? What will we listen to? And in what ways we have to ask ourselves, in what ways anywhere in me 
Am I listening to anything that comes to me that opposes the commands of Yahweh Elohim? We have been given all that we need to know, to be learned men, to be men who are, who are prepared and taught to keep his commands and walk in his ways so that we can have his promises and his blessings. Because they're only for those that keep his commands. There is no way around that. And Jeroboam set a pattern of an apostate church that regrettably has made it all the way through the ages and continues to grow like the rebellious monster that she is. Let's be ones who come out. I'm all, I've been talking about coming out of the nations. We also need to come out of the apostate church, man. And that means a whole lot more than not going to traditional church services anymore or not being a Baptist, or not being a Catholic, or not being a Methodist. I'm just a non-denominational man in Jesus. That ain't it either. It's time for us to become a people of God, an identifiable nation, a royal priesthood that has been prophesied as well. So let us be men of discernment. Let us be men who don't just identify evil easily and and be repulsed by that and stand up and call it out for what it is and then turn and be deceived by the one who says he looks just like us who hears the voices of angels i would say that's where the church has been in this last season the patriotic evangelical church has been listening to the ones say, I'm just like you i've got your back friend come on back to my house disobey the commands of the father and come have some dinner Okay, and the whole church has gotten on the buses to go downtown and be deceived. Calling out again to come out, be separate. Hear the word of the Lord. This one. And be a people who keep his commands and walk in his ways. You've been watching and listening to the Path to Zion podcast. We're rediscovering the ancient way. Man, it's it's laborious and it's beautiful and it's awesome. And I'm willing to pay the price and the cost to be on the Path to Zion. Find us online anywhere you look. We're everywhere you go. PathToZion.com Path Design Podcast here on YouTube. Like, subscribe, all those things. Share them. Continue to email us. Thank you so much for those of you who are emailing us and who are interested in, in, in supporting us with getting equipment and buying domain names and, you know, all these things that this incurs. Thank you so much for any of you who are interested in doing that. And continually pray for us and send us emails and encourage us and say, have you looked at this scripture? And this reminds me of this scripture. And here's my phone number. And here's my my husband's phone number. Would you call him? Can I call you? Man, I'm telling you, it's awesome. It's stinking awesome. The body of Messiah is alive, friends. He's alive in his people. So thank you for watching. Have a blessed day. Check back soon. We're going to do some more videos, I guess, if winter continues. Amen.